0: The Gospel of John in chapter 14. And we find our Lord Jesus in the upper room with the twelve disciples. Judas was there. And in verse 21 when Jesus had thus said he was troubled in spirit and testified and said verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me now at this point that was a ton of bricks, boom, that just fell on the the hearts of the disciples and they were shocked by this and they couldn't understand who it might be and so uh, they started looking at one another and asking, "Is it I? Is it I?" And uh, Simon Peter beckoned to him, to the disciple whom Jesus loved—that would have been the apostle John—that he should ask, "Who it should be of him of whom he, be of whom he spake?" Verse 25. He then lying on Jesus' breast said unto him, "Lord, who is it?" Jesus answered, "He it is to whom I shall give a sop." A sop was a a piece of bread that was dipped in uh, some special sauce and given by the the host of the meal to uh, a favored one or someone he wanted to honor. And so in verse 26 it says, And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, look at this, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. And it was at that point that Judas got up. You see in verse 30. He then having received the soft went immediately out. And it was night. Judas went off to betray Jesus. And the Lord Jesus begins now to comfort and teach his 11 disciples that are remaining. But um, we come here to um, verse number. uh, Let me see here. I've lost my verse. Give me a minute, I'll find it. It can't have gone far. Oh my. Ah, oh, that's what happens when you don't write things down, huh? Okay, here we are. Now, I had you um, uh, looking back in chapter 13. And when we get to chapter 14, and this is where I want to pick back up. So, I think I... Did I tell you to go back to 13? No, no there's my problem. I tell you. Oh, well, in chapter 14 now, we come to the end of the chapter... And after all of this long discourse, comforting, you know, verse 27, peace I leave with you, and so on, we get now to verse 30. Here we are here. And Jesus said, Hereafter I will not talk much with you. And then he said these interesting words, For the prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. The prince of this world cometh, and hath nothing in me. And so we're going to sort of explore that a little bit tonight. That concept, that idea, the prince of this world hath nothing in me. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, please help us now to gain a truth from the scriptures and make application. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed bring honor and glory to your wonderful name. As he applies the scriptures to our hearts. And Lord, we do love you more now than ever before and as the world grows colder and more wicked and evil is just more on more on the news now than ever before we certainly all look forward to that wonderful coming of our lord and savior and that blessed hope laid up for us and that trumpet that will sound one day and we look forward to these things with great anticipation but lord until that day help us to be faithful and to serve you and to grow and so, please teach us tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, now isn't that an interesting phrase that the Lord says here in verse 30? For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now to say that someone has nothing in me is as much to say that he has nothing to do with me, and that's very true. Satan had no foothold in 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 Jesus. The devil had nothing, no investment in Jesus. He had no handle with which to grab him. Satan had no anything really in Jesus. I wish we could say the same thing about us. I wish that I could say that Satan has no foothold in my life. I wish I could say that Satan has no handle in which he can grab. I wish that I could say that Satan has no bad seed that he's sown into my life. I wish I could say that, but I can't. But Jesus could. The devil cometh, here Satan cometh, the prince of this world, and hath nothing in me, Jesus said. And so that, that is very interesting, isn't it? But why can't we sort of turn this around a little bit and start asking ourselves, do I have anything in Jesus? Satan has nothing in Jesus, but what about me? What have I got in Jesus? What kind of foothold do I have in Jesus? Is there a handle for me in Jesus? Is there a place for me in Jesus? Is there an investment of mine into Jesus? So, uh, Jesus said, Satan, the prince of this world, hath nothing in me. But what do we have in Jesus tonight? That's a good question. Apparently, there are many people in the world that have absolutely nothing in Jesus. Just like Satan, Jesus said, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Likewise, there are so many people in this world that have nothing in Jesus. And what I mean is that they have no interest in Jesus. They have no time in Jesus. They have no investment in Jesus. They have no money in Jesus. They have no heart in Jesus. They have no prayer in Jesus. And listen, they have no future in Jesus either. And just as the devil, the prince of this world, hath nothing in Jesus, so there are multitudes. Even in our city, 600,000 people, How many have something in Jesus? Well, we sure wish there was a lot more. Now, many of these people that have nothing in Jesus, they might have much in other things. Uh, And what I mean is that there's a lot of people that have interest and investment and time and money and heart into sports. They have big investment, huge investment into sports. I've told you that uh, when we drive home um, on, on Sundays, when we go home, sometimes it's, it's dark, sometimes it's pouring rain, but we go by the soccer field. And the soccer field lights are on full bloom, and there are crowds, dozens and dozens of people, standing out there and pouring rain with umbrellas, cheering on the soccer players out there with no umbrellas, getting sopping wet, kicking around a ball, and into this sport there are so many many people that have poured their heart and their time and treasures and their their mind and their future into the sport. They've got big investment into that sport. Nothing wrong with soccer. There are some people that that have huge in time and investment and money into business. And then there are those that have huge time and money and investment into other hobbies. Or some into world travel. Or listen carefully, some even in the family. They pour all their time and their treasures and their heart and their mind and their future and everything into family. Nothing wrong with family, the gift of God. And nothing wrong per se with business, good, honest, clean business. Nothing wrong with world travel or even sports for that matter. There's nothing wrong with these things except, listen, they have no eternal future. There is no eternal future in sports and in hobbies. You know, uh, I've entertained the thoughts of retirement. You can't help but. And so, I think to myself, this is how I counter it. Because I'm not ready to retire. I don't want to retire. And this is how I counter it. Because if you don't counter it with something, these thoughts are going to You know, take over your mind. I I don't want to retire. What am I going to do? Am I going to spend the rest of my days making model airplanes while souls go to hell? Am I going to spend the rest of my days trying to perfect my golf game while lost people are, are crying in sin? Huh? And so that's how I counter it. That's what I do to counter those thoughts. You know, oh, doesn't retirement sound good? You're aching back and all of your your aches and pains and your feet that hurt so much and your you know, your problems with your other health things you've got and the devil gets after me. Oh, doesn't it sound good, you know, to retire? Not as long as there's souls to be won. Not as long as there's work to be done for the Lord. So that's how I counter that. But I, I'm saying again that there's nothing wrong with hobbies and travel and, and these things. There's nothing wrong, but there's no eternality in it. You know, you're going to work hard at, at a job and you're going to climb the corporate ladder and you're going to make more money and, and get more company benefits, maybe a corner office. And then you're, you're going to come to the day you die. Are you going to have regrets that you didn't work longer and put in more hours at the office? No one has regrets. No one dies gasping, coughing up blood and gasping their last breath saying, I wish I'd spent more hours working at the office making more money. And they die. No one ever does that. But they have other regrets, don't they? And sometimes Christians have regrets too. I wish I'd prayed more. When they come to the deathbed, I wish I'd tried to win more souls. You see, now, the real truth of the matter comes. When we talk about life and death, the truth comes out. And it's the eternal things that become very important. You know, when we're young, you know, what do we think of? We have thoughts of romance. We have thoughts of business. We have thoughts of grandeur. We have thoughts of lofty things we want to do. When we come to our deathbed and we look back we can see very clearly where we wasted our years where we wasted our time, our talents, our resources only what's done for Christ will last here Jesus in talking with his eleven disciples made this interesting statement the prince of this world cometh and he hath nothing in me and as we look around we see in our little harvest fields here in Surrey Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that have nothing in Jesus. Isn't that sad? When they could have something in Jesus and they have nothing. And they've got lots in sports and lots in business and lots in hobbies and lots in family. But when it comes to Jesus... I heard a story of a preacher who's now well on up in years... And when he was pastoring a a church uh, down in the states, he went to visit a, a rather wealthy man. And this wealthy man took him in his car and showed him, he was a bit of a rancher, and he showed him all his land. And he said, look, as far as the eye can see in this direction, I own... All of this. And look over here as far as you can see, all these rolling hills. I own all of that. And look down this way here as far as you can see, and this way up here as far as you can see, and those pine trees and so on. I own it all. And the pastor finally said to him, Well, look up here. <laughs> How much do you own up here? And this is what I think the message is tonight. The prince of this world cometh, and he hath nothing in me. And guess what? He's not alone. There are untold millions, billions, that have nothing in Jesus. they got all these investments everywhere else, but they don't seem to have anything in Jesus. There's no eternal future in world travel or in hobbies. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, these famous words, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit a man? There is no profit. There's no internal investment. There's, there's no eternal profit there. There's an interesting story told about um, a rich landowner named Karl and an old farmer named um, Hans. And Hans used to work as a tenant on Carl's property. And Carl's holdings was vast. He, uh, he was the wealthiest man in the valley. And one day he was out on his horse, Carl was. And he was riding around looking at his lands and so on. And he came upon, uh, he came upon old uh, 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 Hans there. And old Hans was sitting under a tree. And he was, uh, he was about to eat his lunch. And he had some m- meager little meal there. And Hans looked up at Carl and said, Oh, hello, Mr. Carl. He said, I was just about to give thanks to God for my lunch. And Carl, sitting on his horse, looked down and, and he said, Why, he said, if that's all I had to eat, I wouldn't be very thankful. He said, well, he said, I, I am, and, and I'm very thankful for it. And then old Hans went on and he said, It's strange you should come by today. Mr. Carl, because today, uh, he said, said, I had a dream last night. And in my dream, a voice told me that the richest man in the valley would die tonight. And I don't know what that means, but I thought I ought to tell you about it. And Carl snorted back. He says, dreams are nonsense. And he, he galloped away. But he couldn't shake the words of old Hans, the richest man in the valley will die tonight. And so well, Carl <clears throat> was obviously the richest man in the valley. And so he called up his doctor and invited his doctor to his home to give him a thorough checkup. And he just didn't want to take any chances. And the doctor did a thorough examination on Carl. And he, he said to him, Carl, he said, you're as healthy as a horse. He said, you're not about to die. And Carl still wasn't a you know, convinced. He said, doctor, would you, would you stay tonight with me? And I'll, we'll have a nice meal together. We'll play cards. The doctor agreed. And so they had a meal together. They played cards and probably smoked their cigars or something into the middle of the night. And they finally went to bed. In the morning, Carl wakes up and he realizes he's fine. And so um, he thanked the doctor and um, he said, it was just my paranoia. And he sent the doctor on his way. Well about 9 o'clock that morning. A messenger came to uh, Carl's home. And knocked on the door. And uh, Carl uh, he said what is it? What is it? What do you want? And the messenger said "Uh, sir it's about old Hans. He died last night in his sleep. The richest man in the valley. You see you can own all of the wealth of the world. But what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? You see, you may not be wealthy owning all of those buildings and all that land and all these stocks and bonds. and You may, not, you may hold no shares whatsoever in Amazon or Google or any of these companies. And by earthly standards you may just be scraping by. But you may be one of the wealthiest ones where it really matters. You see? So Jesus said, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. And that's true. And there are so many millions or billions that have nothing in Jesus. But we need to ask ourselves, what have we got in Jesus? What kind of investment might we have in the Savior? Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus Christ offers a future home in heaven to whosoever will. Now that's good real estate. That's good investment. To have a home in heaven found in Jesus Christ. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Of course in order to have that future you must have something in Jesus Christ. Those that have nothing in Jesus have no home In heaven and they have no hope. Think about this again. The prince of this world hath nothing in me. So as Christians. We all have something in Jesus Christ. Once we became born again. We realize we've got something in Christ. But how much do we have in Christ? That's the next question. You've got something. That's good. Now how much have you got? That's the next question. If you're saved. You've got eternal life in Christ, but there is so much more that you can have in Christ. How much interest do you have in Christ? How much investment do you have in Jesus Christ? Let me ask this. How much time do you have in Christ? How much money do you have in Christ? How much heart do you have in Christ? How much ministry do you have in Christ? It's amazing how many Christians have no ministry whatsoever in Jesus Christ. They have zero. Zilch. They don't do anything to serve the Lord Jesus. There's no job, no no ministry, nothing that they have in Jesus Christ. That needs to be fixed. I ask you, do you have a daily prayer closet time with Jesus? Or is it just hit and miss throughout the year? I suggest to you, you need to have a daily, regular... I... I use the word regimented, but I hope you understand I'm not talking about something real stiff and routine. I'm talking about a regular time with Jesus, where you get alone with Jesus. And maybe you have a hymn book and you can sing a hymn to the Lord, just you and Jesus alone in your prayer closet. Maybe you you could have a little book on prayer and there's many, there's over 400, maybe 500 books on the subject of prayer. Pick one. And start reading it through. A chapter maybe uh, uh, from R.A. Torrey on prayer. That's an excellent one to start with. There are so many, many good books on prayer. Read a chapter and then maybe read for 15 minutes. Or a a chapter or two from the scriptures. And then get on your knees or get on your face and begin to pray. You got to get your heart warmed up. You got to get your heart warm before you go to God in prayer. If you go cold it's, it's awful hard. The scriptures will warm your heart. And reading the Psalms will really help. You need to have that quiet time. That closet time alone with God. Just you and He. Just the two. Um, your, Your prayer closet time with Jesus. Let me ask you. Is it bigger and better now than it was a year ago? Your investment in the prayer closet. Do you have a bigger investment now? Uh, People who deal with with portfolios and investments and stocks and bonds. They're interested in in you getting started and they're interested in you growing that. And the idea is that each year your portfolio gets bigger and bigger, broader and broader, deeper and deeper. Uh, Your wealth and influence financially gets stronger and stronger and it starts somewhere and it just keeps going and growing. Well, let's apply this to what we have in Jesus. Do you have a, a prayer closet in Jesus? And is it bigger and better and stronger and more wonderful now than it was six months ago? Why not? It ought to be, shouldn't it? Wouldn't you want to see your investments grow? How many of us would, if we were given $100,000, how many of us would like to invest it in something only to find that in one year it's now worth $90,000? We lost 10000 $10,000? And then another year goes by and now it's only worth 80000 What kind of an investment is that? You'd say, ah, get my money out of that investment. How about your prayer closet? Is it bigger, better, richer, deeper, more fruitful now than ever before? It can be, it ought to be, if you have something in Jesus. Are we careful students of the Bible that he gave us? He gave us a wonderful book, didn't he? Amen. He gave us the Bible. Are we better students now in the Bible than we were a year ago? How much investment do you have in your Bible? If I were to look at your Bible a year ago and look at your Bible tonight, could I see a difference? Do you have more Bible verses underlined? Do you have more notes written there? Do you, do you, do you have some, some little star asterisks beside verses that, where the Holy Spirit has spoken to you? Your Bible ought to be well marked. It's like a pathway. It ought to be well trodden. Your investment in the Bible. Is it greater now than it was before? How about our tithing and our giving to faith promise? Is it more now than it was before? Are we seeking to pray for lost souls and to win them to Jesus Christ? More now than before. You see what I'm getting at? The prince of this world cometh, Jesus said, and has nothing in me. Hundreds of millions, billions of people today in the world have nothing in Jesus Christ. We who are saved have eternal life in Christ, but there's so much more that we can have in Christ. What kind of investment do we have in Him? That's what I'm saying. They say this, supposing that being a Christian was a crime. And in some countries of the world it is, folks. But supposing we had a governmental change here in Canada, and all of a sudden Christianity was uh, outlawed. You could be other religions, but not a Christian. You cannot be a Bible-believing, Bible-carrying, Bible-loving, gospel-sharing Christian. You cannot be. It's against the law. And so they arrest you. And they take you before a judge and the prosecuting attorney stands up and he's got his his case there is there enough evidence to convict you of being a a Jesus loving God fearing Bible loving prayer warrior gospel sharing Christian is there enough evidence to convict you is there or if they went through your life say, oh I don't know there's not enough evidence I don't even see a testimony here where they're saved if they're saved Who knows? Are you a secret agent for Jesus? Or is there plenty of evidence to convict you? If I got charged with the crime of being a pastor, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Could they go on the the internet and find sermons, find me preaching sermons? Could they talk to people and find evidence... Of pastoral care. Would there be enough evidence to convict me of being a pastor? I hope so. Is there enough evidence to convict you of being a God-fearing, godly, committed Christian? I hope so. The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now, throughout the year, I ask you this throughout the year and we're only into the year five months but throughout the year have you backed up a truckload of devotion and obedience and worship and service and poured it out at the feet of Jesus have you done that what if this were your last year and there was no more opportunity oh I'll do it one day when I get old and retire listen you may not even get old let alone retire the Mack truck may find you as you step off the curb pow you're gone a disease may catch up with you. In a week you're gone. You never know. The prince of this world hath nothing in me. My Christian friend, how much do you have invested in Jesus? Someone wrote a poem. Every time I read it, I get ah convicted in my heart. A good poem. May I share it with you? Fasten your seatbelt. Someone wrote this poem. Ye call me master and obey me not. Ye call me light. And see me not. Ye call me the way. And walk me not. Ye call me life. And desire me not. Ye call me wise. And follow me not. Ye call me fair. And love me not. Ye call me rich. And ask me not. Ye call me eternal. And seek me not. Ye call me gracious. And trust me not. Ye call me noble. And serve me not. Ye call me mighty. And honor me not. Ye call me just, and fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Good poem. Whew. Man, I've got to put that one away for a while. That's convicting. That's a good one. I'm wondering, what will you invest in Jesus this year? You only have one life. Not two. One. And look how quickly it's, it's gone by. Look how quick the years have gone by already. Say, let's take this one step further. You know, we all say we'd like to see this, Jesus answer this prayer. We'd like to see God give us this or that. Why don't we turn it around? What might He like from us this year? If God had a, a little shopping list and He said, this is what I want from you, what might be on that list? That's a good good question. I suggest, why don't you increase your investment in Jesus this year? Why don't you make sure that you have something in Jesus this year? More than eternal life. Much more than eternal life. Increase your interest in the Bible. Increase your time spent with Him alone in prayer. Increase your ministries for Him in church. Increase your money invested in His kingdom. Increase your heart of loyalty and faithfulness and obedience. And so once again Jesus said, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. So why don't we do the opposite of what Satan does? And why don't we put everything into Jesus Christ? That makes good sense, doesn't it? I'd like you to make this the very best year of your life. Folks, we've got opportunities abounding this year. We're talking also about getting a new kind of prayer meeting going. See how it goes. A once a month prayer meeting on Friday night. Once a month. Where we come together and we get serious. And we start praying for lost people and revival of the church. We've been talking about that this evening. And so maybe next month. Maybe the beginning of the month we'll get it started. And I'll tell you more later. But we want to come together like on a Friday night and pray from 8 to 11. Three hours. See, three hours? Three hours in prayer? Man, I can't make it three minutes. You know there are Christians that can't even seem to pray for three minutes? Did you know that? How is it going to be possible? Pray for three hours. We'll show you. But wouldn't it be great to spend that time with God Man, you come away, you'd feel like Moses coming down from the mountain meeting with God, wouldn't you? you come out of a prayer meeting like that. So, that's, that's in our hearts, that's in the works. But in the meanwhile, what else can you do to invest your life in Jesus? You've only got one life. Let's not mess it up. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we have opportunity to put investment into you. Now when we got saved, we've got eternal life in you. So we do have that. We are in you and you are in us. And that's a wonderful truth and we rejoice in that. But that's just the beginning. It's like when we're born as babies. That's great, but it's only the beginning. And we need to grow and develop and serve and enjoy And life is so much, much more than just being born as a baby. Lord, I pray that every one of us here tonight would get a hold of this and hold on to it for for all we've got. Hang on to it for every day this year to put our investment into Jesus. Everything we've got, our time, our talents, our treasure, our health, our future. Our families. All of our energies. All what you've blessed us with. If we could turn around and invest that into Jesus. Oh, what a difference it would make. Lord, bless your people. Please bless the people of this church. Help us, Heavenly Father. We ask this special request. the a wonderful, precious name of our Savior that you'd grant to us an answer whereby we would come on fire and have revival and see that this world is just not worth living for and take our lives and invest them into Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. And Lord, from our investment, begin to pay rich dividends, not just of love and joy and peace, But also that we would see lost souls saved. Hallelujah for the kingdom and glory of God. We'd see great victories in Christians' lives. We'd see great missions going on and soul winning. We'd see a great increase in Bible college and the training of future leaders. We'd hear of victory after victory. All because we invested in the right place. Oh, please bless us tonight. Bless your people tonight. Help us to carry through on something like that. For your honor, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, after that message, we're going to give you an opportunity with the evening offering to make an investment into Jesus. How about that? There's an opportunity right there. And we encourage you to give as unto the Lord. You know you never can outgive give God. You never could. You never will. He is the great giver. Hallelujah. But so gentlemen if you'd come forward. And um, call upon Ivan. Come and lead us in a word of prayer. And Ivan's finishing up three years now in Bible college. Coming into the home stretch. And so uh, keep him in prayer. Along with the other Bible college students this week as they do their final Ivan, come and lead us in prayer Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you Lord for the great services that we've had today I thank you Lord for, for laying that message on Pastor White's heart it was an uh, important reminder for all of us, I just pray Lord that you would help us to invest more and more into the work of your, to your work Lord rather than to our personal hobbies or personal agendas Lord pray Lord that we would grow and, and sow more and be great sowers Lord